rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome into the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. This is J.C. Sherbert. Uh, glad to be with you today. After a short break yesterday, had a uh, something come up, couldn't get to an episode, but that's all right. We're back here on um, a Friday, and uh, tomorrow South Carolina has really its first big scrimmage of the preseason, and this is always something that uh, – no matter who the coaches have been at South Carolina over the years since I've been covering the program, since we've had the big spur.com, you know, you always sort of look forward to, um, I have to say, I, I look forward to it more when Steve Spurrier opened one up and I think Muschamp opened one up his first year. And after that, they have not been open. So we don't get to see it. And certainly now with COVID-19, we're not going to get to see it. I think, I think we're going to be lucky to even be in the stadium during the games of this year, but, um, we will be, so that'll be a good thing. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to my boy Rod, uh, whose 70th birthday is tomorrow. Rod is a good friend of mine. won't mention his last name because I don't have his permission to say that, but he's a big Gamecock fan, big supporter of the podcast and the site. So happy birthday, Rod. I hope it's a, it's a great one. Rod's been watching a lot of Gamecock football over the years, and so he's seen a lot of good games, a lot of bad games. <laughs> so uh, God bless you, Rod, and hope everything's good on your end uh, over in Florence um, and uh, the PD region. Uh, Got to get out of the way. Got some mailbag questions coming up. Again, uh, we keep getting more and more either at Inside the Gamecocks. I'm sorry, G- at Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com for the email, or you can tweet at us at the Big Spur Pod and got a lot of those things coming up. So I put a VIP note for VIPs. If you're not a VIP on the bigspur.com, uh, you don't know this yet, or if you hadn't been on the site yet, you don't know this yet. Uh, but put a VIP tidbit up, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing because obviously that's VIP intel for my members. But um, just want to say this: I spent a couple of days well, trying to get some info out of sources. Uh, didn't really go. I wasn't on a crusade or anything, but uh, just talked to some guys here and there, uh, and want to talk about Luke Doty. Um, and you've heard Muschamp on his call-in show praising him and all that. And, you know, you kind of look behind the scenes and uh, a lot of times head coaches, not just Will Muschamp, when they're asked about a specific player, they're, they're not going to throw the guy under the bus. You know, oh, he's doing OK. He's he's working. He's competing. You know, he's right there. He's got a good future. Will Muschamp in particular will talk about a lot of times what a player will be in time. And I think sometimes fans and media confuse that and they, they have those, these grand expectations right away. Uh, and he's not really saying that. He's saying, well, down the road, because football, again, is a develop, developmental sport. You know, it's not like basketball where, you know, you get a big, talented freshman uh, and they come in and play really, really well and you kind of know what you got. Uh, now, with that said, because I got some I got some blowback on this, so people turn that into a Frank Martin, let's kill Frank Martin <laughs> kind of deal. And I want to say that, that it's not that people don't develop in basketball. Uh, because you can develop in that sport. Uh, and I think Frank Martin's proven that. I mean, you, you, you see so many guys that have, you know, come to South Carolina that were, you know, one way as a freshman and then another, you know, and, and they end up getting better and better. And P.J. Dozier actually has developed some in the NBA too. 
but if you look at what he was as a true freshman compared to where he was as a sophomore when they went to the Final Four, that's development, especially on the defensive end. Uh, and then he's just gotten better and better since he's been in the NBA and certainly uh, had a good run in the Disney bubble uh, down there with the National Basketball Association. So I do think uh, that, that there are players that develop in basketball. I, what I'm talking about is the elite of the elite, the five-star guys, your Zion Williamson's of the world, you know, they go in and, and they kind of are what they are. And, and even Zion got a little bit better. Coach K kind of got his outside shot going during his one year at Duke. But uh, football, though, you know, it, it takes a lot for a five-star basketball guy not to pan out at least a little bit. It, I mean, he may not go to the NBA, but at least he's, you know, he'll get there somewhat and he helps the team that he's on, um, you know, right away. Uh, but in football, that's not you know always the case. I mean, you got guys that you know don't necessarily start right away, and then a couple of years they're fine, particularly on the lines of scrimmage, et cetera. So football is a developmental sport, uh, and I think back to Doty. Sometimes we hear about players, and it's, it's it's in terms of you know what they could be or what they will be down the road. Let me say this: after checking with contacts, then this is not, the, the Doty hype train is real, and most of the feedback I got about the kid was based on him playing quarterback, you know, told straight up, he can definitely play quarterback in the SEC, um, which I thought was encouraging because, you know, there are people freaking out that he may play wide receiver. Some speculate it's a permanent thing because you got Gunnar Stockton coming in. Uh, and then Muschamp even said it on his call-in show that, you know, had, had they had the full spring, you know, he may be even further ahead uh, when it comes to quarterback. So, I, you know, what does all this mean? I, I don't. I hope <laughs> I hope that it doesn't mean that Colin Hill and Ryan Helensky can't get the job done and we're going to see Luke Doty this year um, because obviously what goes up must come down. And if Luke Doty's the starting quarterback, that means the other two guys aren't getting it done. Carolina's probably struggling, all that. Not necessarily, though. I mean, you do have a school in the state of South Carolina that changed quarterbacks four games in and they were undefeated and ranked number one in the country. But, um, you know, so, so I hope, you know, he's a big part of the team this year. They do that. And, and you know, that, that Helensky and he'll hold him off. But what this means to me is heading into the scrimmage, you know, look out. If, if he has a better scrimmage and he ends up being the better guy, you know, maybe maybe he gets in this thing before the Tennessee thing at, at quarterback. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, I think they all – the coaching staff loved him coming out of high school. They thought he was a really good player. So he's a heck of an athlete. I think they're surprised at how quickly he's picked everything up. And I think they're surprised at uh, where he is in terms of his ability uh, to compete at this level across the board. And his competitiveness is there. He, like I said, he doesn't do anything slow. Uh, and that's kind of a – we've seen players over the years that aren't ready. Have You know, look, like think about the 2018 defense down the stretch. You know, everybody was talking, oh, those players are slow. Well, they don't know where to go, <laughs> you know. And, and when you don't know where to go, you do play slow. When you don't know what you're doing, you do play slow. That's in any sport. Baseball, you know, you, if, if you're not instinctively tracking that fly ball in the outfield, you're going to look like you're slow and you can't get to it. Um, of course, there are slow players in baseball. Shout out Sid Bream, the Braves, early 90s. My dad used to talk about how slow Sid Bream was all year. That Sid Bream's slow. He's slow. Sure enough, 
NLCS, <laughs> Francisco Cabrera, Bream trucks it home from second. And uh, that was that was that was Bream's sweet revenge. But anyway, uh, you play slow in, in sports when you don't know what you're doing. And I, I think that's a good, that means Doty has this innate ability to go out there and just play it. And um, so I think it's I think it's pretty solid. I, I really do. I think that uh, that's a good thing. You know, I think a lot of times there's some, you know, to, to coin a phrase, angst and consternation about the quarterback position when there is a battle because everybody kind of has their favorites. And, and I think we all do this, myself included, when you get a quarterback committed, you think down the road, well, this guy's going to take over for this guy and this guy. It's like the, you know, the, the verse, the Bible, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. And, and I get it. And I, I do the same thing. By the way, Macaulay Coughlin, Culkin, is 40 years old today. Wow. Home Alone. He of Home Alone fame. I just saw that on Twitter. I need to shut off Twitter when I'm talking because I just randomly get things. And no, there was no Sid Bream tweet today. So um, I think that's a positive thing. I think it's positive for the quarterbacks. I think it's positive for the competition. I think it's great that Luke Doty is going to be used in a lot of different ways this year. uh, If he can help, uh, intrigued by his speed. Uh, and I think, you know, you always go into a season and you don't, you don't predict it, but you know, you need depth and, and, and you, you don't want the whole season to be in the trash if you lose one or two guys at a position, particularly quarterback. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Anything can happen over the course of the season. If you'd have told me last year, Kentucky would be starting a wide receiver at quarterback and it would make them better and turn them into an eight win football team. I wouldn't believe you, you know, uh, likewise, I don't, I wouldn't have really believed South Carolina would tank and go four and eight after Jake Bentley went down. Not that I've, you guys know I'm a big Jake Bentley guy. Uh, and I do think they would have been better had he not gotten hurt. Um, but I, I was expecting more, well, they'll scratch out six somehow. And of course that didn't happen, but, um, you know, so, so, so that's the deal there is anything can happen. And so it's positive news, uh, that Luke Doty is making the impression he is, if you start thinking about it too, you know, you look at this 2020 class um, and you got Jordan Birch, who obviously was the big dog that they got. But then, you know, every good thing you've heard about Marshawn Lloyd before the injury, uh, you hear that they love Luke Doty. Rico Powers is fighting for a starting job over on defense, Mokaba. Uh, I know that they love <clears throat> Micaiah Scott and Boogie Huntley on the interior of the defensive line. Um, so it looks, you know, initial reactions uh, to um, this 2020 class are pretty positive. It looks like, uh, oh, I forgot to mention Tonka Hemingway. Everybody always does that. <laughs> they forget Tonka. Uh, and they love Tonka Hemingway. I mean, they think that guy, now, now that he's full-time on football, is going to be special. So you sort of look around and, you know, that, that 2020 class is looking pretty good. Uh, all things considered. Keep in mind, Zaquandre White, the running back, is in that class. And so is Rashad. So half the running backs are from the 2020 class. So we'll see kind of what happens with all that. Um, but, uh, you know, just some, some inside intel I wanted to share with you there about Luke Doty. It really seems, really seems, really seems like, uh, you know, he's a guy that's going to really help the program over the years in a lot of different ways. So, we will see what ultimately happens with Luke Doty. Um, as far as the quarterback battle goes, Colin Hill, Ryan Halinski, Saturday's a big day. I think Saturday's a big day 
to focus on if you're, if you're just out there looking at something to focus on. And of course, with a close scrimmage, a lot depends on what Muschamp talks about and what they choose to address. And I'm sure there'll be stats, maybe. Um, quarterback battle, that's got to be number one. And then number two is running back. I think somebody's got to step up there and be the guy to start. Um, I think it with without Lloyd, and even with Lloyd, you, you couldn't, you just weren't going to play Lloyd the whole time. I mean, you, you needed other guys. But um, I, I think somebody needs to step up and get the starting gig, whether that's Saquandre White, whether that's Deshaun Fenwick, whether that's Kevin Harris, Rashad Amos, take your pick. You know, and the scrimmage, the scrimmages will kind of give them the opportunity uh, to go out there and, and, and sort of get it done um, and see who the guy is. Uh, you know, Big Ten, switching gears to an on-gamecock topic, Nebraska's players are suing the Big Ten to try to get an injunction to start the season. I don't think that's going to work, although I do feel like the discovery process is going to be really interesting. <laughs> um, and I still think and maintain that the Big Ten made a terrible decision, and uh, we'll see what happens. South Carolina's COVID testing, 300 people tested, 300 people in the building, zero positives. They had one last week. So that means they get it a good job of, of snuffing that one out and not letting it spread. And, you know, they're, they're looking good right now. Uh, campuses, campus-wise at South Carolina, the numbers are going up. Uh, I think everybody expected that, but, uh, you know, they, they need to get those numbers down on campus, uh, I think, and, and prevent an outbreak and all that. But, you know, if you look at some other colleges, South Carolina's actually done a better deal than um, um, a lot of schools. All right, Max Kellerman, <laughs> uh, one more thing. Uh and this kind of stuff drives me crazy because I'm, you know, I'm from the South. I love the South. I've been all over the country. I've lived in other parts of the country. Uh, I've met people from all over the country. And I think that there's a, a, a stupid blindness based on political bias and agenda and who people vote for. And if you look at the numbers, you know, you want to throw the whole South under the bus based on everybody voting for a certain person. You know, the, the numbers in those states are usually 60-40 in a presidential election. So you're throwing 40 percent of the population under the bus. Um, so Max Kellerman says SEC football fans are stupid and easy to propagandize and almost immune to facts. <laughs> And then uh, that's why Trump got elected, yada, yada. That's why they're playing football is what he tried to insinuate. And look, again, I'm going to say it just like I did on the last episode. If you take that approach, you are siding uh, and you are accepting the conference that's the least transparent uh, of any of the conferences, least transparent, and you're accepting whatever they tell you is fact. So who's the dummy? Who's the dummy? The SEC medical people have been on the record talking about why they're going to play. Greg Sankey does interviews after interviews, even with hostile interviewers. You know, Bob Bowles, the Bullsby from the Big 12, he, he went on our Texas podcast with uh, Chip Brown and talked about it. John Swafford's been very transparent with the ACC. You know, even the Pac-12 that canceled had their reasons, and they were basically localized medical reasons, if you read through that document, based on testing. Uh, protocols. We can't test enough out here. We don't have the test. Well, you know, that, that, that's acceptable. Pac-12 doesn't have as much money as the Big Ten either, by the way. The Big Ten makes more money than the SEC. 
for now. Now, when Disney takes the game of the week over from CBS, that's going to change in a big way. But right now, the Big Ten brings in more money than the SEC, so they have the money. I get the Pac-12. I mean, they've been struggling. Their network's been struggling. Poor, poor people. They had to lay off a bunch of folks. They just made a mistake by going their own way with the network. Um, and, you know, it's, it's cost them as a league. And, and it sucks because, you know, you think about it, they were about to raid the Big 12 and build the Pac-16 and get Texas and Oklahoma and everybody else in there and, uh, and be a major force. And I love West Coast football, and I wish – I, I wish it wasn't that way, but it's that way. But that's different than the Big Ten. The Big Ten's very untransparent. Um, you have states in the Big Ten footprint where you have high school football. Like, all right, so Pitt's playing. The Eagles are playing. The Steelers are playing. And high school football is being played in Pennsylvania, but no Penn State. The Bengals are playing. The Bearcats are playing. Uh, the Browns are playing. But Ohio State's not playing, you know. Um, and so that doesn't make much sense to me at all. But what Max Kellerman said is stupid. Uh, it's it's a it's a stereotypical thing. Um, you know, if someone said something like that about another group of people in this country, uh, they would be um, they would be very uh, ostracized, canceled. Uh, but I guess it's okay to to beat up on the South. And, and he didn't say white people from the South. You know, he may have insinuated that, but to me, the South is very culturally diverse and, and includes a lot of people. And a lot of people, you know, of all different walks of life, love living in the South. And if you talk to some people, they experience a lot less of the, the crap, you know, racially in the South than they do in the North these days or other parts of the country. So uh, I, I reject that. Uh, I know there's a lot of history there that makes it easy to kind of just kick everybody in the teeth down south. Uh, but um, to just generalize like that and to say everybody's immune to facts. Are there some people that are immune to facts? Absolutely. But there's some, there's people like that everywhere, folks. Everywhere. You don't cross from Maryland into Virginia and avoid people that aren't like, you know, that, that, that believe in conspiracy theories. You know, there's no line there. You know, it's like, oh, people over in Virginia are like facts and science and or in Maryland are facts and science. And then you go to Virginia. Oh, no, no, no. That doesn't happen. Um, and shout out to my friend Mike Farrell from Rivals, who I used to work with, uh, who's actually been on, you know, he kind of agree would agree with what I say. He, he retweeted this uh, Max Kellerman thing and, you know, great job calling a large portion of the country dumb. Um and, and that guy, I don't even know why they have that guy on. I mean, he's, he's uh, rarely has anything that I agree with and most people um, agree with, in my opinion. So that's enough of a rant there. Um, I just don't like my folks in my part of the country being called dumb, unless you have a reason, you know. I, I think individuals are dumb, not groups of people. That's stereotypical, and that's bias, and culturally bias, regionally bias, whatever you want to put in. And that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Um, so anyway, just wanted to say that I, I wanted to let you guys know that I do not agree with Max Kellerman, that we're all a bunch of dummies down here that don't want to believe facts. All right. So let's get to the mailbag uh, again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet at us uh, at the big spur pod. Um, okay. Joe, Joe emails in. 
My name is Joe, and I just recently found your podcast. I'm in the military and not local, so it's nice to hear real Gamecock talk like I used to get from the radio. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate you uh, listening, and uh, thank you for your service to our country. My questions are, each year there's always a team that overachieves. If that's the Gamecocks this year, what does overachieving look like for us? Six and four, seven and three. We finally have multiple five stars on our roster. Quality town to the quarterback position. What is our ceiling as a team this year? Thanks again, JC. It's a pleasure listening to you. P.S. I think Ryan Holinsky has way more upside than people give him credit for. Put weapons around him and a simplified offense and let the boy play. Uh, I agree Ryan Holinsky has a lot of upside. As I mentioned at the onset, football players get better. It's a developmental sport. He was a true freshman last year. Um, I don't know that they had a good plan to kind of help him out after a certain point. Um. And in some cases with injuries, they, 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 they couldn't help him out. I mean, people forget like the, the Clemson game where they were just not competitive um, at all on either side of the ball, in my opinion. Uh, Brian Edwards was missing. I mean, you know, Brian Edwards, uh, you think back to the Alabama game, how he kind of set the tone and played really well early. That Gamecocks hung around. Um, that was big, missing him. They started Ja'Kai Moore, who actually redshirted last year at offensive tackle in that game. So injury, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, and we'll see, and he's locked in a battle right now with Colin Hill, and that's only going to make him a better player. Um, if the Gamecocks overachieve. Now, listening to that SEC podcast, which I highly recommend, uh, and I'm going to have those guys on this show at some point, um, probably closer to the Tennessee game because they're, you know, they both kind of – they talk about all SEC teams, but they have, you know, some connections to Tennessee and – uh, I'll have some Tennessee guests once we get closer to that game. Um, I was listening to them, and they, you know, they were both saying, "Well, if there's a team that's laying in the weeds, it's off the radar. They could do us the Gamecocks because they cited the defense." Uh, and this was after the Marshawn Lloyd injury. Um, I think seven and three would be a really big overachieving year for this team. You know, six and four um, would be better than people give them credit for the Gamecocks. You know, seven and three, you think about it in terms of this. The Gamecocks have never won seven conference games since they've been a member of the SEC. Um, so that would be a record in terms of SEC wins, even though it is a 10-game all-SEC schedule. Um, they've only won six a handful of times. Uh, I think those those 11 and two years were the six wins. Um, it may happen one other time. But, no, so, so yeah, you, you know – Six wins, seven wins against the league is overachieving, in my opinion. I think five and five is something to shoot for. Uh, I think if they have bowls this year, you're going to probably see something to where a four and six will get you into a bowl, which would be good. Um, in normal years, that's a 500 conference record with four wins, depending. Um, so, so I could see, I could see them maybe putting a four and six up, but still getting to a bowl and everything's okay. If not, is that okay? I don't know. We can have that discussion later, but yeah, that that's overachieving. And that's, uh, that's beating, you know, your Tennessee, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and, uh, Ole Miss, and then getting two of the others, which includes Auburn, LSU, A&M, Georgia, Florida, um, you know. So that that that's that's what that looks like, and so if you think about it from that perspective, heck yeah, that'd be a a big overachievement, and things would be right back to pointing in the right direction, which is good because you got some recruiting momentum for twenty twenty two with Gunnar Stockton committed, and that's going to be a pretty a pretty good year in state. 
Um, so you get some players, keep building the roster, that kind of thing. So, all right, Joe, thanks for listening. And uh, thank you for your service to our country. Once again, stay safe out there. This next question comes off Twitter from at Alan Stanton. All right, brother JC. So great to have you back on the daily Carolina circuit. Uh, have you heard what the expectations are for noise pipe did at home? And can that provide a legitimate home field advantage? That's number one question. I have not heard anything about that. I know they're doing that in major league baseball. I'm just not, I'm not certain it's going to happen with college football. Cause there are going to be fans there. And I'll say this too. I mean, you know, I, I don't, 20,000 fans, I mean, if you think about it, and the noise is going to escape because obviously it's not full and it's not going to be the thunderous, ear-shattering stuff uh, that you hear with 80. But they can still get loud depending on how they they put put it in there. The band's still going to be there. You know, you'll have students. um, You'll still have Sandstorm. You'll have the chicken crow. Um, So I don't even know that they need to do it. I mean, and and I keep thinking about this. You know, I've been to enough high school, state championship high school games all over the country, and they usually get about 20,000 people. Uh, in a bigger stadium. Um, if you got a bigger high school or it's a big matchup, maybe it's more. But, you know, I've been to them in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, uh, Texas. Texas may have more. Uh, Texas actually does have more. But, uh, it, it you know, it, it's a situation where th- those stadiums aren't full, but they still get, you know, it's still pretty loud. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, you're still going to have to deal with some crowd noise. Uh, if you're a visiting team now, you know, when they're si- when they, you know, the other team gets up, I think they can probably suck the life out of the crowd even worse, <laughs> you know, than they would if they were 80,000. Uh, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know about noise being piped in the sec generally frowns upon that. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Number two, do we see Jamie Robinson at kick returner, punt returner? I think he's competing at both spots. Um, I think J.C. Horn probably has a little edge at punt returner, but that's one of those scrimmage things, too. They're going live in the scrimmage. Um, The one thing you can't do back there is drop the ball. Uh, And so whoever – the one thing I've learned about punt returner, especially under Muschamp, it's whoever doesn't drop the ball. You know, people wondered why Jamias Williams, Jam Williams, never returned kicks. Well, he – you know, he wasn't exactly the surest-handed – returner back there uh so you can't drop the ball and i haven't heard anything about these guys dropping the ball not dropping the ball um i'm excited about robinson and his potential there he did that in high school obviously uh and so we'll see uh, about that uh number three question from alan your best guest at the top five or six receivers i'm gonna go like on the last episode with jalen brooks being eligible so i'm gonna go brooks shy smith Xavier Leggett, Rico Powers, DeCarian Joyner, and then I'm going to throw Ortre Smith slash Luke Doty in there. And, and that's just a start, and that may or may not hold. And if I, if I left somebody out that I really like, you know, forgive me, because there's a lot of receivers and it's hard to get an eye on it. Uh, but I, I think that could do it. I mean, I, and I, I'm not saying that Brooks is number one. I mean, Shai Smith one, Brooks two, Leggett three, Powers and Joyner right there. Um, maybe if you're looking at it from another standpoint, you know, trying to get a, you know, who starts at X or whatever, Z, maybe it's 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 Brooks, Smith, 
and Joiner uh, or something like that. Um, I have heard Joiner's kind of on track to start, but again, that's kind of before Jalen Brooks came in and Rico Powers started really playing well and and all that. Um, of the top three, uh, I'm confident that if Brooks is eligible, he'll be a top three guy. Um, at least I hope so. You know, based on practice and intel. Um, you know, the one I'm probably not sure about is Leggett just because he did have the injury. Uh, and, you know, but he's got upside. And if you start thinking about it, uh, if you think about these guys in terms of reaching their highest upside, you know, Brooks, Smith, Leggett, Powers, Joyner, Ortrey, or Luke, all those guys have good skill sets and all those guys are capable. Um, and that's good because, you, you know, you, there are guys that you don't, you know, you don't necessarily know can do it. Um, Joe Cox does have his work cut out for him, though, so we'll see what happens there um, in terms of getting um, getting everything going uh, with that. So thanks for the, the question there, Alan. Appreciate you. Michael emails in. JC, this question may be better answered after the scrimmages, but do we have competitive depth on the interior defensive line? After Lloyd got hurt, I thought, what would be a player we couldn't afford to lose and keep going? Uh, and I keep going back to Zach Pickens. We have seen in the past Harley regarded freshman cannot be relied on at this position, which only leaves four players to my knowledge, Ellis, Pickens, Rick Sandage, and Kier Thomas. Yeah, and um, that's it, the depth on the interior has been a concern of mine. If you had to just ask me what my biggest concern on defense is, and it's probably because I'm sick of saying safety, because I've been saying safety for four years. <laughs> Uh, and oh, by the way, he goes, thanks, the fuzz. All right, so I'm going to, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see the fuzz. Sorry, the fuzz. That, that's a good one. I will call you the fuzz from here on out. Um, you know, I, I look at it and it's like, you know, I, I, that's one thing I was concerned about because Ellis and Thomas are, are battlers. I mean, they're tough guys, seniors. Ellis is a guy that for a couple of years now, when he's not hurt, they, they end up, they say great things about him, came over from junior college. Uh, Kier Thomas going into his fifth year. I mean, he can come back for a sixth year if he wants to because <laughs> uh, everybody's redshirting. Tough player, makes good plays, knows everything. Um, but those guys are undersized. You know, they're not, they're not your big 300 and something pounders. Um, and they got to go against, a, you know, 500, 600 pounds of double team, 700 pounds of double team in there. So, um, looking at it like that, I, I agree. I share your concerns. Uh, you know, Pickens gets out. That's going to be really tough. But like I mentioned earlier, they like Scott and Huntley. And I think what you want, you know, like Kobe Smith, when he was a true freshman, um, and something kind of like he, you know, where he played probably 10 snaps a game. They didn't lose that much when he was in there because you got to rotate them. Uh, I think with the younger guys, you know, that's going to be the deal with the freshmen. But I do th – I, th I think – I mean, Scott and Huntley are going to play this year because why not? You know, you can get two or three snaps out of them and rest your big guys and your starters and, and your second teamers. That, that's not bad. Um, what's interesting about this from a starting standpoint, not depth, uh, is that right now Jabari Ellis and Kier Thomas are ahead of Zach Pickens and Rick Sandage. I don't know that it'll stay that way. Uh, I think Rick Sanders has had a really good camp. You start hearing his name more and more. Zach Pickens obviously has a great skill set. Um, but I think with Tracy Rocker coaching, you know, he's going to make guys earn it. And uh, I think that's a positive thing. So I share your concerns about depth on the interior. They cannot afford injuries there. Uh, that's going to be tough. 
Um, and, and, you know, you, you also have to be concerned if you're starting tackles and your guys that are playing a whole lot are Thomas and Ellis. You got to be concerned about being undersized. Now, you can get by. You can get by with an undersized guy as long as he's athletic and good and making plays. Um, but, you know, there's some times where that, that's costly. So we will see there. But thank you, The Fuzz, for sending that on in. I appreciate you guys. All right. Chrissy Dowling. Where do you see the football team in the next four years? And is Muschamp the guy to get us over the hump? I don't know. <laughs> I think in the next four years, if Muschamp could turn it around and win games, and and you know, it's 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 South Carolina, and you're in a you're in the middle of a build, okay? Um, and I don't think Gamecock fans are, are overly concerned. You know, there's a small minority that is. Uh, because you went four and eight last year, but I mean, I don't think they're overly concerned with, all right, you got to go win 11, you know, the next time we have a regular schedule like they did under Spurrier or else you're out. <laughs> you got to go win the SEC East or you're out. Uh, I don't think the majority of fans are like that because they understand sort of where it's at right now. And if you were going to make a change to me, you know, after you bottom out at four to eight, when you're supposed to have the best team you've had, and you, you, there's all kinds of positive win streaks that the programs, you know, South Carolina doesn't have very many like greatly positive win streaks, you know, but you know, the, the success against Tennessee and Missouri under must champ. And even before that was a positive because there are two, two schools in the division that believe they should beat the Gamecocks every year. Um, and the Gamecocks had gotten, you know, six. They were six and zero oh against those two teams under Muschamp heading into last year. Lost them both by twenty points. Uh, and then, you know, because you recruit North Carolina, because North Carolina is an important state as far as that goes. You know, you, you sort of like the fact that a team from North Carolina—it's North Carolina, North Carolina State, East Carolina, Western Carolina—has uh, not beaten you uh, since nineteen ninety nine. And it was 2019, so in 20 years. And not only did the Gamecocks lose to UNC, they also lost to Appalachian State. And that's tough. And, and so you look at that year, and, and I think if you were Ray Tanner, you had to make a decision. Uh, do, you, do you stop the bleeding by making a change, or do you just kind of stay with him? Um, it's really kind of a baseball coach call. Uh, and I know that they're talking about the money and all that, but – you know, you really wanted to get him. Get you know, you really wanted to make a change. You they were that last year they could have found the money. This year, I, I don't know. You know, financially, it's going to be a mess at most athletic departments. I doubt you're going to see a bunch of changes, um, anywhere. But you know, so, so so what you do is you look at it and you say, all right, well he's the guy, and so you got to give him the tools necessary to turn it around. And they went and hired Bobo. They have a lot of new coaches. It's not just Mike Bobo. If you think about it, you know, Rod Wilson's new on the staff. Joe Cox is new. Des Kitchings is new. Bobo definitely is new. They've got a new strength coach. I mean, this is sort of like after uh, Spurrier's fourth year, 2008, six coaches left. New coaches came in. New strength coach Craig Fitzgerald was hired. Uh, and then, you know, the program got better. You know, they started recruiting – you know, that class, the 09 class was Gilmore and Holloman and those guys. And then they got Marcus and DJ Swearinger the next. And they, they ended up building, you know, building that class. 
building. I think Swearinger actually was 09. Sorry about that, DJ. Because <laughs> in the 010, the 2010 Clemson games, when he got the infamous Andre Ellington hit and flag. Uh, or no, 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 I'm sorry. That was the 2012 Clemson game, so I was wrong about that. DJ, DJ Swearinger. DJ Swearinger was committed to Tennessee, then Fulmer left. And so, yeah, he was the 09 class. Um, that's a South Carolina. That, that's kind of when it started. You brought in your GA Manguses of the world, Lorenzo Ward, is it, who has a secondary coach. Uh, people can say what they want about him as a defensive coordinator and how it ended. And I think that criticism is valid. But, man, he was really key with uh, Ellis Johnson and those guys landing Jadevi and Clowney. So it, it, that was one of his major contributions to the program. You, you sort of just go, well, you know, there was some good and some bad. <laughs> uh, but Lorenzo Ward came in. Um, you think about it, they hired uh, – that was the year they got Wolford the first time, and then Elliott came in the next year because Wolford took the Youngstown State job. But, yeah, there, there was it was a lot different. You know, there were a lot different uh, – it was a different staff. And, you know, you look at this staff with Will Muschamp and then it's not quite as many, but, but there's several, you know, so it's a new staff and a new day. And, you know, so you just have to wait and see. Um, I can't tell you, I'm not going to sit here. And I like Will Muschamp. There's no question about it. I thought he was a good hire at the time, just because I know what kind of recruiter he is and the way he can build a roster. And to me, that was priority number one at South Carolina. Because you had an opportunity there, if you didn't get somebody in there that could recruit, that it was going to end up being a situation where it got a lot worse before it got better. And, you know, he kept it above water. Up until the Florida game in 2018, I would have argued till I'm blue in the face, Muschamp was the right guy. But the bottom sort of fell out. And then last year was a disaster. And so those are legitimate questions. And so we'll see kind of if he gets over the hump. In the next four years, if Muschamp turns it around and starts doing I think in four years things will be a lot better because you'll have, you know, Gunnar Stockton could be the quarterback or maybe Luke Doty's finishing it out being good. You'll have, you know, you will have had the Marshawn Lloyd era, you know, hopefully. God willing, he comes back. Um, you know, some of these younger players will have gotten older. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, I think there's a chance for success. I, I really do, but I can't sit here and honestly tell you that most you have to got to get it over the hump. I mean, there's been, like I said, since the Florida game in 2018, there's just not a lot of signs of that. Uh, and I hope I'm, I mean, I, I don't think I'm wrong by saying that. I, I just hope that maybe that's not the case and things turn again. You know, I mean, I, I think sometimes guys, Coaches in particular, they, they stick it out, and it's long-term. And uh, I had a, a major FBS Power 5-level head coach tell me over the summer, we are having a conversation about something unrelated, and he was talking to me about – this guy does not coach at South Carolina. Um, and he was telling me, he's like, any school with resources, if they're patient and they stick with their guy – has a chance at great success in college football. He said the problem is a lot of times, you know, people get impatient and they run guys off. Now, I agree. I mean, there, there are some impatient situations out there because there's money at stake and boosters get impatient, Nancy. And if it's not a big-name guy, you know, they're, they're kind of – it takes them a tough – a long time to sort of uh, embrace – the coach, you know, because you look at, you know, could have that guy, could have that guy, could have that guy. Um, and, and I agree with that premise. I'm, 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 I'm not saying that's applicable to Muschamp. 
I'm not saying that, you know, Muschamp's coached 100 college football games as an SEC coach, 54 and 46. You know, we have 100 games to kind of look at here. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, according to this guy, who I respect, um, it, it, it happens, you know, and, and it's not – sometimes it is about being patient. So that's the road Ray Tanner has chosen to, to take the football program. And I think Will Muschamp's excited and happy and, and sort of made some changes and likes the staff he's got now. And, you know, we'll see what happens. He's never had a year five anywhere. He only got four at Florida. So maybe year five is a magical year. Everybody that said it's a five-year rebuild, here we go. It's year five. So so we'll see. So, I, I you know, that's a hard question to ask, uh, Mr. Dowling. Because it's uh, it's it's four years. I you know, hopefully I'm still kicking and doing this podcast in four years. Uh, you know, 2020, the year 2020 has kind of got me. You know, I don't know. You know, weird things happen. But thank you for your question. I appreciate that. And that's uh, that's the key topic. You know, and and I cannot honestly say yes or no. Um, as far as that goes, right now, I really can't say yes. You know, coming off four and eight, I. I, I think even Will Muschamp himself would tell you last year was unacceptable. Um, you know, South Carolina probably does not have the historical standards that a lot of other programs do, but Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier and all of their coaches and all of those players that came along for the last 20 years and, you know, played their hearts out for the Gamecocks to get this program from a program that was happy to go to a bowl to a program that expected to go to a bowl and expected to contend in the SEC East. It's not fair to those guys that worked so hard over the span of two decades to raise the standards, to lower the standards back down to where they were in the 90s. And I think Will Muschamp will say that. Will Muschamp said in his opening press conference that the standards have changed, and they have. You know, South Carolina, the minimum standard is getting to a bowl game. You know, and last year they went 4-8. and eight. So we'll see kind of what happens there, and uh, I hope – I hope they have a surprising season, I, and it has to be surprising because, as I've said many times, there's there's a relevance. There's no relevance. I mean, it, nobody's talking about South Carolina right now, uh, and that could be a good thing. That could be a really good thing. I mean, uh, you know, you, you think about sometimes teams that – I mean, nobody was talking about Kentucky last year or two years ago, and they jumped up and, and played well, played good ball won their shared games. I mean, you know, and then you look last year too, everybody was talking about Missouri in the preseason. Uh, and they started well enough, and then the bottom fell out and their coach got fired. So uh, some of these preseason predict, oh, this team's the team to watch. You know, sometimes it, it runs the other direction. Think about 2014. Gamecocks were a preseason top ten. They were picked to win the SEC, East at least. Uh, played A&M, they were 11-point favorites, and they got waxed 52-28 on their home field. Nobody was talking about A&M because they had lost Johnny Manziel. Uh, but you see what happened. That A&M team ended up being sort of like A&M normally is. I think there were eight, seven, eight wins or something like that, and Kitty Hill ended up getting benched. <laughs> but that's the Aggies, and we could have a uh, – one day I'll get uh, some of my friends that cover the Aggies on here, and we'll swap some stories because, you know – they may expect to beat South Carolina because they're six and zero against the Gamecocks, but there's a lot of similarities to the two programs uh, at times. They've been better than South Carolina historically, but there are some issues there where they, you know, head scratching type of collapses and things like that. So we'll see kind of what happens there.
All right, so we are done for Friday. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet at me or the, the podcast at the Big Spur Pod to get your mailbag questions read. Also, keep uh, going on iTunes. We've got so many wonderful reviews and five star ratings. I just so appreciate that. Each and every one of you guys have done that. That helps the podcast so much. Uh, so go on the Apple Pod stores. It's on your app on your iPhone. It's podcast. Go in there, hit up inside the Gamecocks. Rate us five stars. If you have time, write a review. If not, just keep the five-star ratings going. I appreciate each and every one of you doing that. And uh, and we're out. Unless there's an emergency pod, you never know. There may be an emergency pod. I do have one to make up to you guys this week. Um, but uh, if there's not, I will see you guys bright and early Monday morning. This is J.C. Sherbert. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll holla at you soon.